Welcome to Africa Insights, a podcast from New Lines magazine. I'm Kwanguli Wewe. As the conflict between Israel and Palestine extends into its second month, the repercussions of the crisis persist globally. The international reaction to the violence in Israel and Gaza has revealed deep divisions within the global community. This week, our focus turns to South Africa, the most prominent African voice that has taken a strong stance against Israel. In 1990, when South Africa's struggle stalwart and freedom fighter Nelson Mandela was released from prison, he reiterated his support for the Palestine Liberation Organization, who then was still regarded as a terrorist organization by the United States and Israel. Our attitude towards any country is determined by the attitude of that country to our struggle. Yasser Arafat, Colonel Gaddafi, Fidel Castro, support our struggle to the hilt. Later, as South Africa's first black president, Mandela famously said in 1997 that the freedom of South Africa would be incomplete without the freedom of the Palestinians. Now, since the conflict broke out in October, South Africa has called on the International Criminal Court to issue an arrest warrant for Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for war crimes. It has also recalled its ambassador to Israel and has withdrawn all its diplomatic staff. The government's backing of the Palestinians has faced rebuke from certain factions from within the South African Jewish community. Meanwhile, other political parties have aligned themselves with Israel, intensifying the already deepening divisions over the conflict. To understand how this conflict is affecting South Africa's religious community, I spoke to Father Michael Weeder, who is the Dean of St. George's Cathedral in Cape Town. He's a former activist with the African National Congress. He and his church are actively demonstrating solidarity with Palestinians and endeavoring to establish strong connections with the Muslim community. Reverend Michael Weeder, thank you very much for coming onto the podcast. All good. Thank you for the invitation. So now, how has the Israeli-Palestinian conflict historically resonated within South Africa, given South Africa's own history of apartheid and the struggle for justice? I think it resonated largely with the Muslim community and who have been very consistent in keeping the narrative in the in the liberation scope. And then also the Jewish community, from another perspective, also kept it very firmly on their own organizational agenda. They would be, for example, from some of the schools here, um, young men would go off and volunteer in the IDF army. So they would have an ambivalent status. They would be part of the Israeli army and have a status as a citizen, but also having their close allegiance to South Africa. Now, South Africa has come out strongly in support of the Palestinian cause, and the government has actually reprimanded Israel's bombardment of Gaza. And they've also filed a referral to the International Criminal Court seeking investigations into what Cyril Amposa has described as war crimes. Now, we're also hearing different voices and opinions coming out of South Africa with regards to this conflict. In the political space, what's the general feeling about the conflict among the key parties like the ANC, EFF, Democratic Alliance, and Carter Freedom Party? What are these various parties saying? Look, there'll be historical splits around those lines because the African National Congress 
has always had a very consistent line concerning Palestine and seen our Palestinian brothers and sisters as comrades, both in arms, but also in terms of how we envisage a life beyond apartheid. And so both coming out of col uh, colonizing uh, settler regimes, that narrative then also uh, translates into the ruling party in power and again a consistency. The DA, um, I think now is in a state of flux. It has to raise his voice in a way that it recognizes that the oppression that the Palestinians are experiencing needs to be altered. Um, and they're speaking largely in Cape Town, which has a significant Muslim influence vote. And so they also have to lobby in that direction. And then there are other parties who are sort of faith-aligned Muslim parties, others with the Christian basis. So the ideological lines of a party seems to be, uh, besides the African National Congress and to an extent the DA, is informed and influenced by how that potential voter, uh, a constituency that they speak into, there's a strong Christian Zionism that has been very uh, passive, but have now come up very strongly. So the the nature of the conflict and also that people now read about uh, churches being bombed, hospitals that are being managed by faith communities, by the Christians, by the Anglicans and so on, that is not coming into the national narrative in a way that it hasn't before. It's causing us as leadership of the mainline churches to review our own approach. So the, the Anglican Church a few weeks ago brought out a resolution that was very clear that Israel is an apartheid state, but that did not necessarily translate into our own constituency. So it was a, a case of the leadership being a vanguard of a type and working very clearly with the biblical and the liberationist theology understanding of where the church ought to be and where we believe God is calling us to be, our rank and file are either very determinedly and focused being lovers of Israel, and there is also an awakening amongst many of our constituencies. And I'm talking now specifically about the Anglican Church, but also the broader mainline churches, the Catholics, the Methodists, and others. Yes. Okay, and that um, statement declaring Israel's an apartheid state actually got um, a lashing out from an organization, the South African Zionist organization. I mean, they called that resolution appalling, anti-Semitic, and um, other civil society groups like the Palestine Solidarity Committee in South Africa welcomed it. So it looks like a divided landscape when we're looking at the religious bodies in South Africa. You see, I, I think that we we can't just look at Palestine Israel without an appreciation of the South African context. And so when Jewish members of synagogues, which are largely, if not almost exclusively white, and they still falter their understanding of the hegemonic presence of a Zionist state in Israel, they falter through 
their white consciousness, their white privilege status, and they make common cause with their fellow uh, settler equivalents in terms of the Jews that, that are resident in South Africa that have been arriving on our shores from 1940s onwards came from Eastern Europe, they came from Lithuania, from Russia, and so forth. So when they see their counterparts behaving like the Dutch and British settlers of the, of the 17th, 18th, and 19th century, the settlers that go and go in a very robust, vicious way of unsettling people from the land, they don't see anything necessarily wrong with that because they also speak, I think, within a centuries-old trauma of how Jews were isolated and beleaguered. So it's also the pathology of, of being a Jew and often being a minority. You are often, uh, there's an insecurity and when people are fearful, they consolidate around the little that they have. And so, so there's a, a social misconstruction of the overall reality of their fellow citizens, but their own particular needs. And so even if they are secular, even agnostic and atheistic in their faith experience, in their political needs and their material needs, they consolidate the understanding that they are the chosen people. And so Zionism and Judaism is then conflated into one solitary cause of how they need to secure their own privilege and survival. In your opinion, what can be done to narrow this divide um, in South Africa and bring some kind of unity in the midst of all this diversity you've just explained in the country? I think for us as South Africans, we've, we have always functioned at the best when we seek around the, the minimal understanding of who we are as a people. So in our constitution and when the Freedom Charter is the cornerstone of that, it's a very simple phrase that says, South Africa belongs to all who live in it. And so what we have done from the faith community, both Muslim, Jewish and Christian, we've organized and unified around a solitary focus, ceasefire, and then going to talks. It's, it's as simple and as basic as that. And we've emphasized our humanity, that we are not embracing people in Gaza because they are Muslim or because they are Christian. And the members of the Israeli Defense Force are not the enemy because they are Jews but because of what they are doing to their fellow human beings. And so it's always been the common ground on which we live as people, because whatever happens in one part of the world, if globalization has not taught of what you mess up in New York, people in Kenya are feeling right now at this moment. So our, our lives, our present and our future is so interrelated that we really have to revisit our fundamental views about who we are and not seek a knee-jerk, intuitive sense of a tribalistic, an ethnic, a religious view. Those positions are unhelpful. Now, in terms of the way the story is being covered in South Africa by the South African media, what role do you believe the media has played in shaping any perspectives or narratives surrounding um, this conflict within South Africa? I think the mainstream media tends to walk and write and report from the shallow waters of minimalist research, shallow understanding of what the issue is about, 
And there is, I think, overall, it reflects also the rhetoric, the narrative of South Africans is that we are still talking in the language of the past. So even when we say Israel is a apartheid state, I don't think if I was a Palestinian that I would, I would feel supported because there are little embryonic similarities, but the lived reality of a Palestinian child is so much different from what I've known. I've not had, uh, you know, soldiers on every block. We could walk into white areas. We, we took a risk, but it wasn't a, such a policing of who we are. Maybe in the 50s, when black people had to step aside of the, of the pavements in Pretoria and Johannesburg. But the, 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 the way Palestinians have responded to this perpetual bombardment of their lives and of their houses, and they can still say in a very simple way, God is great. Even as a man stands with his, the last member of his family, a dead baby in his hands and his arms, and he says, God is great without anger. You know, in, in Cape Town, we have a Creole culture, and we often say, sabr. And I think it's an Arabic word that comes by Islam to us. It means continue, resist, don't be defeated. And I see that when it's translated into the Palestinian reality of being undefeated, but with a, a very glorious way, a very inspiring, hope-inspiring way. And so in terms of the future, it is to see how that can be translated into how from the river to the sea becomes an exclusive, inclusive way that defeats what the sectors of our liberation movement would have said one settler, one bullet, they must go back into the sea. That was countered by another narrative, but a predominant and a much more livable, embraceable narrative that says South Africa belongs to all who live in it. Regardless of where they came from, they were here now. And we must live with them, and we must love them, and we must be engaging with each other. And of course, that is not, we've seen as a very much a Sisyphus complex, you push the boulder of struggle on the freedom road to a point and you can't let it roll back because it just smashes and that's where we end up with state capture. We have enough bad lessons to share in terms of negotiation. We were not the perfect model, but it was a necessary model. Militarily, it's no reason to win. Only the arms manufacturers win in, in warfare. South Africa is the loudest African voice with regards to this conflict. But however, there is some criticism from other African nations who are saying, look, in our own backyard, there's a genocide unfolding in Sudan and Darfur. And yet South Africa, one of Africa's biggest powerhouses, is quiet about this. What are your thoughts about these sentiments? You know, a friend of mine, Amira Osman, she's a professor at the University of Pretoria, reflecting as a Somalian on our silence. And she says, when she sees the extent of the devastation of what is happening in Gaza, it's incomparable. I grew up on the Cape Flats. I've got cousins who are living on gangland. I know of families that are totally besieged by drug addiction and what it means to live in a gang-occupied territory where the police have got no say, the local government has no say, but even we are saying that the definitive 
moment of our humanity is where we are at this tipping point of the season of monsters. Now, without a doubt, the media plays a huge role in how this conflict is perceived in South Africa. So I decided to speak to a gifted and controversial political cartoonist known by his pen name, Zapiro. For over five decades, he has used art to satirize and passionately criticize politicians, both within South Africa and globally. His work continues to cover the ongoing Israel-Palestine conflict. Jonathan Shapiro, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Good to be with you. So throughout South Africa's anti-apartheid movement, um, what characterized the involvement of the Jewish community in supporting the cause? We've heard a lot about the parallels being drawn between apartheid and the Palestinian cause, but I am aware that there are instances where the Jewish did support the anti-apartheid struggle. Could you just tell us about that? Yes, the Jewish community was very split. Um, the Jewish community is probably more progressive on um, issues of apartheid, a bit more progressive than the average white community during the apartheid era. But that said, that didn't, I mean, the, the South African white community was so reactionary that uh, even if it was Jewish community was marginally more progressive, uh, that didn't make them very progressive. Uh, so it was only a small core of activists who were radical uh, on, on apartheid, and a great proportion of the people who really were radical on, on apartheid and were activists and were taking part in the fight against apartheid, uh, they identified with other struggles around the world, including the Palestinian struggle. The tendency of the Jewish community to pull in the entire community into the kind of Zionist net uh, didn't work with the with with the with a more radical, more pro most progressive part of the Jewish community who tended very much to support you know the, the Palestinian cause and to be very anti anti Zionist. But it's a tiny core, really. And now, when we come to present day South Africa, um, the government is supporting the Palestinian cause. They've come out strongly against what's happening in this conflict, um, and the government and the ruling party, the ANC. Now, when we look at the South African Jewish community, are they united um, in the condemnation of the government's support for Palestine? We've been reading about um, the protests that are happening in South Africa along these lines, but is the community united in this condemnation? No, the community is extremely split. Um, <laughs> one could say that there's a greater proportion now that has understood a little bit more about the conflict, you know, from, from so much more media that is out there and from so much more that has happened. And in a sense, there probably is some understanding in the broader Jewish community that South Africa was able to address the issue of the African majority and the broader black majority and actually sort of cede power and become a democracy. Uh, Israel, while pretending to be a democracy, is by no means, in, in my opinion. I think the broader community, there, there are more people who understand that there's more nuance now, but I'm afraid it is still, it, it, it's still only a small proportion of, of Jews who, who really see the situation in the way that uh, the South African government 
sees it and, and the way that many people around the world see it, that Israel is an oppressor state uh, which has occupied Palestinian land. It is still only a small proportion of, of, of Jews who are really prepared to accept kind of radical change and who actually understand the situation in the way that I'm explaining. There's a lot of animosity between the sort of different camps of, of, of Jewish opinion. Yeah. And where is that opinion being heard? Are they being covered widely by the media? It is fairly wide because the progressive Jews are very vocal and are uh, uh, putting out uh, petitions and we're in many ways making our position known. I mean, I've been able to do that for a long, long time in, in, uh, through my cartoons and, and I have you know, a public platform and I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have that. Uh, at the same time, when I say I'm lucky, I also get an enormous amount of vitriol um, from within the Jewish community, even from um, people within my own extended family. It's very difficult. But yes, there are uh, progressive Jews, there are radical Jews who are finding positions in media to, to, to write articles, but still the Zionist uh, lobby is powerful here and very vocal, and they have the main sway in, in the Jewish community here. Of course, it is interesting that it is against the position of the South African government. The South African government, of course, has got tremendous double standards on these sort of issues because uh, they they take a, a completely polar opposite view on uh, on issues of, of uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of, a, of of sovereign state or of people being ethnically cleansed or of people being bombed, uh, it, it seems to be swept under the carpet on, on the issue of Russia and Ukraine. But in the case of Israel and Palestine, the ANC has for decades a, a broadly pro-Palestinian approach and it has been intensified by the carnage in Gaza. And there, there has been, a, from the ANC government, there's been a sort of a, a fairly lukewarm condemnation of, of Hamas. Um, to Going back to your first question about the, about the Jewish position, the biggest difficulty amongst progressive and, and, and more radical Jews is how to approach what Hamas did in, you know, on, on the 7th of October. Um, I, I, came, I roundly condemned the atrocity committed by Hamas, but immediately tried to contextualize it uh, within the decades of what uh, Israel has been doing. So I'm not exonerating Hamas one bit, but there are Jews who won't sign certain petitions or who won't take a, a position as strongly opposed to, to what Israel is doing as they might have because they feel that there's, a, there's too little condemnation um, in some of these petitions um, of, of what Hamas um, did on, on the 7th of October and, and, and subsequently with the hostages, yeah. Just picking up on a point that you made about um, what you called about hypocrisy um, to do with um, the government, um, the ANC-led government. On the one hand, um, recently the president, Cyril Ramaphosa, called on the ICC to arrest um, Netanyahu. But this is the same government that the ANC itself, the party, has been calling for South Africa to leave the same ICC, as well as um, the Russian president Putin attending BRICS. They tiptoed around that. So what is your comment on this? I think the ANC has really lost its moral compass. Uh, I've, I was always on the same side of the ANC during the, the, the apartheid struggle. But since then, even during uh, Nelson Mandela's uh, government, as much as I supported Nelson Mandela and the broad 
advances of the of democracy in the in the in the 90s i think there were already some inconsistencies in the in in foreign policy that were about pragmatism by the time tabo and becky came about uh, and certainly under jacob zuma and and now under Cyril ramaphosa i think the anc has become wildly inconsistent in and in and and very pragmatic of course the anc is trying to as nelson mandela did quite correctly in my opinion to increase the power of africa um and and, and the african voice on the world stage uh, but i'm afraid that in doing so they've sometimes taken positions that are i i feel are are sometimes morally uh poor and based on pragmatism alone uh, in terms of sort of uh, renegotiating the various blocks one understands that they want a kind of non-aligned block but then sometimes that puts them in in bed with some countries that are even worse than some of the countries that they're trying to uh, to wrest power from uh you know Saudi Arabia and uh, and then Russia you know and Russia under Putin which is by no means progressive is a sort of a czarist approach that Putin has um and China's human rights record is 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 pretty awful uh, not to say that all the western countries have got great human rights records so i'm saying that the anc in trying to renegotiate this terrain has not done very well on principle and and hasn't really done enormously well on pragmatism either So let's go back to your cartoons. Now you are undoubtedly South Africa's best known political cartoonist and over the years you've produced cartoons that have got a lot of people arguing whether these cartoons are fair satire or whether they cross ethical lines. So I'll give reference to one of these that you did last year, the proudly made in Israel one. And here we saw um the Western Cape Jewish community were really offended by this. And in this cartoon you drew a direct line between the killing of Shireen Abu Akel who was a journalist who was shot dead in an Israeli raid in the city of Jenin. With that you drew a parallel cartoon of the killing of Hector Peterside in the 1976 Soweto uprising in South Africa. So just explain to us uh what were you trying to depict in this particular one because some view your caricatures as being anti-Zionist. um they perfectly welcome to view them as anti-zionist they in in terms of the the uh, political zionism they are uh they uh, are my cartoons most of them are the ones that I do on these issues are trying to express my outrage that the Jewish community in Israel and a large proportion of the Jewish diaspora in other parts of the world have almost embraced the myth that political zionism was the only ethos philosophy uh, a political strand that 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 Jews uh, wanted to support after the holocaust it, it, all of this started long before the holocaust as gigantic a an atrocity as the holocaust was the the israeli state has used that as a sort of sympathy device and and has pulled sympathy you know in, to a huge extent in in the united states in terms of money and in terms of of getting people behind the, the state the israeli government with with with, the, with the, i think it's still the fourth largest army in the world um and and a tremendous state power um has ethnically cleansed palestine of of palestinians and regularly targets civilians women children uh, journalists in the case 
that you're talking about, um, I mean, she was targeted. It, it was it was absolutely clear to me, and I felt that um, that kind of martyr image of somebody being shot down uh, in by a persecution force, a government with all the force. I felt that that was an appropriate image, and I still do. So it's not only the Jewish community that you've upset. There was also that drawing. It was back in 2010 of um, the Prophet Muhammad cartoon. Um, I do believe you did receive some death threats about this. And in this particular cartoon, um, the Prophet was reclining on a therapist's couch and the words there were like, other prophets have followers with a sense of humor. You got a lot of flack for this. What was your relationship like with the Muslim community before this came out and what is it like now? I would not be 100% sure what to say ab- about, about, about it now. Um, earlier, I felt I had a very good relationship with the Muslim community. Not that I'm trying to cultivate, um, you know, all, all sorts of communities. It's not, a, it's not a popularity contest. I do things that I think are uh, need to be done to promote human rights, to promote freedom of expression, to promote uh, um, anti-racism, for gender rights, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, the, the the I think the cartoons that I had done during the South African struggle which were clearly um, in, in very much in support of the anti-apartheid movement, of the ANC, of oppressed black people of all hues, uh, that because you know the South African government oppressed anyone who they didn't feel was Caucasian white or of Caucasian origin. So that would have been, uh, I mean, uh, the, the Muslim community in South Africa were very much part of the of the the fight against apartheid, and and the cartoons would have been seen in support of all black people and of democracy in general. So they, they, there was there was a broad liking for my cartoons. I think among the Muslim community. In fact, I was invited to speak at many events, and and as well as that, of course, they were quite uh, taken with the fact that I'm a, as a Jewish. South African, the Jewish activist, the Jewish cartoonist. Um, I was, I, I was always in support of the Palestinian cause and always against uh, political Zionism and what the Israeli government was doing. So, um, you know, when I then decided on the on the basis of freedom of expression to take on, uh, as I have taken on many many different uh, religious dogmas, I've taken on Catholics um, over issues of of, of um, Condoms and of many other things, you know, child abuse, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I've, I've taken on Protestants, Hindus, uh, Buddhists, where where there's where there's apparently support for persecution of other groups, all sorts of things. And but in this case, I felt as a freedom of expression issue, and in support of my fellow cartoonists and of people like Salman Rushdie, and of, of uh, you know, I was scared to do it, but I did it, and I and it and it brought, brought very difficult consequences. And now I have a very mixed, I think, r- relationship in the in the Muslim community. I think people again are, are are happy that I'm doing the cartoons I'm doing around Israel and Palestine. But you know, uh, there are people who have a very fanatical approach to to their belief, and that goes right across all religions, I'm afraid. Thank you to Reverend Reader and Jonathan Shapiro for appearing on the podcast. African Insights was produced this week by Patrick Hagen and me, Kwangu Liwewe. To learn more about Africa's unique stories, follow us on X.